1: Okay, friends, listen up. We're getting straight to the point with this one. We know how to make your holiday shopping way easier.
2: We know that sounds like a big promise, but just like you all, we're busy and the holiday season can be overwhelming. We'd never tease you with a big promise like that and
1: not deliver. So grab your holiday list, count the number of kids that you want to gift and head to KiwiCo.com. You've heard us talking about how much we and our kids love KiwiCo and this holiday season, we're getting serious with you. It's time to place some orders. KiwiCo's
2: fun-filled monthly crates include everything needed for screen-free, hands-on enrichment. They bring together creative play, STEM, geography, and even cooking activities in a line of subscription options for everyone from babies to toddlers and teens 16 and older.
1: KiwiCo crates make amazing gifts for the kids in your life, including your own. You know that we're partial to cooking. Lately, our families can't get enough of KiwiCo's yummy crate which delivers high-quality kitchen tools, three recipes, and two projects every month geared towards kids ages 6 to 14. And before each crate arrives, you also get a shopping list that includes alternative ingredients to accommodate different diets from vegetarian to vegan. But fear not if cooking isn't the thing that will spark excitement for the kids in your life.
2: Through different seasons, our kids have loved the Kiwi Crate, Atlas Crate, and Tinker Crate, just to name a few. So be sure to check out all of Kiwiko's lines. There's something for every kid.
1: So go now. I mean, keep listening to us (laughs) while you holiday shop. Didn't I Just Feed You listeners get 50% off their first month plus free shipping with the code D-I-J-F-Y at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at
2: K-I-W-I-C-O.com. Promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I
1: Just Feed You. And KiwiCo is the perfect gift for last minute gifting too. No shipping or wrapping required. As we move into fall and winter cooking, we're stocking up
2: in broth the building block of our favorite soups, stews, and holiday dishes. While we love making homemade stock, that just isn't always possible.
1: Which is why we asked Zoop to return as a sponsor. And y'all, they said yes, we couldn't be more excited to welcome them back, and the timing couldn't be more perfect for their super premium broths. Zoop
2: makes it easy to add rich, homemade taste to all your cooking. Their flavor-forward broths include chicken, beef, veggie, and seafood, plus bone broths that you can sip. And now Zoop also offers culinary concentrates, small
1: batch broth concentrates, and heat meat soups. I'm obsessed with the culinary concentrates. They have unbeatable flavor, great for making sauces and boosting casseroles, pasta, and rice dishes. One eight ounce jar makes up to 10 quarts of restaurant quality broth. I also love Zoop's soups. Each small batch made soup
2: starts with one of Zoop's homestyle broths giving it a simmered all-day flavor is a perfect quick meal, whether for dinner or a work-from-home lunch.
1: Just like their broths, Zoop Culinary Concentrates and Heat and Eat soups are free of preservatives, artificial ingredients, and gluten, and everything comes packaged in recyclable glass containers. To learn more about why we love Zoop so much and to browse recipes too, visit
2: ZoopBroth.com or go to at ZoopGoodReallyGood on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Zoop Good, Really Good Broth, Culinary Concentrates, and Soups can be found at retailers nationwide, including Walmart, Sprouts, and Kroger, plus online at zoopbroth.com.
2: Or order from Amazon and be sure to use 20 Feed NoV, short for November, to get 20% off your order through November 30th of this year. That's 20 F-E-E-D-N-O-V, short for November.
3: I think the best way to become a better baker is to build your muscle memory. I think there's such a muscle memory to baking. And I think that's true with cooking too, but I think with baking, it's it's even more intense because it's these visual cues that once you know what you're looking for, baking becomes a lot less scary. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids.
1: Hi, I'm Megan.
2: And I'm Stacy. Today, we are very, very excited. We have Erin McDowell on the show to talk to us about her new book, Savory Baking. And she's going to talk to us about the concept, the book itself. But you know we couldn't have Erin on the show without asking her some... (laughs) Personal questions. (laughs) Some (laughs) personal questions. (laughs) Some, like, questions about sweet baking. And, you know, we even end with some holiday tips because those are coming up too. But before we get into today's great conversation... We want to invite you to our Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community? Our free community is where listeners from all over the world come together to ask questions. And we are not exaggerating there. We were just talking with a bunch of friends who live in Australia who are like, You guys, we're starting our summer (laughs) cooking. What did you cook this summer? It was actually really fun to like be corresponding with people who are in a totally different season than us. Anyway. All of us from all over the world, offering advice, sharing tips, sharing recipes. And of course, if you join our listeners group, you also get direct
1: access to us. We'd love to have you as a supporting member of our community too. Recipe subscribers are getting a new batch of cozy recipes for this holiday season. Um, Everything from weeknight cooking to things you can serve as part of your holiday feast. Visit didn't I just feed backslash community to get all the deets on how you can get access to those as well as bonus episodes and more. And if you can't join our community by becoming a supporting member right now, you can always support Didn't I Just Feed You by leaving a rating or a review too. Stacey, I feel like we should not waste any time talking about our personal relationship to savory Baking because we did actually. Maybe overshare? Are we having a weird thing where we went on a date with Erin? I hope so. Because I like (laughs) her. Too much too soon. I know. I really enjoy Erin. And I'm so happy to have her on the show. Erin mcdowell is a best-selling author recipe developer and award-winning food stylist with a specialized focus in baking she's a regular contributor to new york times cooking food 52 and food network kitchen she's the author of the fearless baker which was named one of the best baking books of 2017 by the new york times and the book on pie a new york times bestseller she hosts the iacp award-winning series bake it up a notch for food 52 And her newest book is Savory Baking, Recipes for Breakfast, Dinner, and Everything in Between.
2: Okay, Erin, so you should know that Megan actually has a professional background as a baker. And I do not. I'm a savory cook, recipe developer, test kitchens all the way. So for me, some of my questions (laughs) might be a little bit basic. I have over the years of working with Megan really wanted to embrace baking more. And I've gotten my head around everyday baking, like brownies, chocolate chip cookies, all of that like good, easy stuff that makes you happy, brings you food joy, the kids love. But savory baking is not an area that I've gone into at all. Is there some essential difference between savory baking and sweet baking, either like theoretically or for you that you can talk to us
3: about, having just done a massive and gorgeous book on the topic? Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that the biggest difference is that it's the most dreamy intersection of what we love about savory cooking and what you know I love about baking yes there's still you know some science involved baking has a real reputation for being very by the book and cooking on the other hand has more of a reputation for being off the cuff and what i love about savory baking is that it really is both there's a lot easier ways to customize it and make it your own than there is in some forms of sweet baking and you can also maybe even utilize some existing recipes that you love i mean one of the things that I'm always kind of pushing on people is this concept of leftover pie, basically just taking any leftovers that you have in the kitchen and putting it into a yes. pie crust. And you know, a lot of soups and stews and all kinds of dishes, braises work really well in this application. And it, you can basically turn it into something else and something that's even seemingly fancy, right? Because now it's wrapped in like a flaky buttery totally. crust, but actually you just dumped a bunch of leftovers in and added an additional texture to them. I think that that's what I really love the most about savory baking is this ability to do both and and speaking also to the essential and kind of everyday bakes. I think that those are some of my most favorite in the savory realm is you know things like muffins, quick breads, you know, these are things that are really really simple and can don't even need a mixer usually, can be made in one bowl, can definitely be made on a weeknight. And those are some of my most made in this book. There's actually two whole chapters of recipes that I would say fall, you know, nicely into that easy and everyday sort of um, category.
1: So see, Stacey, you can be an everyday baker and be a savory baker. I I love this idea of leftover pie. You actually (laughs) blew my mind because
2: I never thought of it. But I do talk about like, I'm a super easy baker. I'm also Greek, so I grew up with a lot of phyllo dough, but I find it like a little bit like fussy and it takes too much time. So I really have a love affair with puff pastry and I use it in a lot of savory ways to make like ham and cheese, quote unquote, pop tarts for my kids or just to cover a chicken pot pie in just like a very easy way. So this feels like a very natural evolution for me, this idea of leftover pie pie. And pie dough is something I do make from scratch mostly, so I'm into it. I'm very into yeah. it.
3: Well, and see, you can't say you're not a baker if you make your own doughs from well, scratch. Is how I view it. Only but... <laughs> pie dough, though.
2: Pie dough <laughs> do seems so. Pie dough is one of those things that when I'm speaking to other home cooks, I'm like, "This is easy. If I'm going to make my own homemade pie dough, you can make your own homemade pie dough." But Megan does things like but see, you know, pretzels and croissants, so. But
1: yeah, those are see, not that hard either. It's like yeah, I, I completely
3: agree, actually. I mean, <laughs> croissants are difficult.
2: Pretzels
1: okay. are
3: easier. Um, I yeah. mean, and, and I think that that's the thing. I rate all of my recipes in all three of my books. I rate everything easy, medium and hard. And those are very honest ratings. And they also there's an equal number of the ratings throughout the book. So, what I would classify sometimes as something as hard isn't even that it's difficult, but just that it may be time consuming. It may be more than one day, you know, divvied up over a couple of days, a couple of, you know, stints of baking, that kind of thing. Um, but I do have my dad um, is one of the people that tests my easy mm-hmm. recipes for me because he does not consider himself a baker. So I won't say that it's easy if he struggles with it. If I'm saying it's easy, I really want it to be like, no, for real, this is easy. Anybody can do it. And uh, and dad helps. That, that was one of my favorite features <laughs> so of the book.
2: And I was flipping yeah. through it with my mother-in-law and she said,
3: What do you think? How do you think
2: she came up with the ratings and what we had determined? I mean, you just elucidated your thought process for us. But I thought it might be that a hard recipe requires you to implement the technique perfectly to get the more precisely. That's a better way to put it. To get the intended results.
3: I think that actually does kind of work okay. into it as well, that there's some level of foolproofness yes. built into the easy recipes and so on and so forth. But I also think I also want it to be, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily label something that has like a mile long ingredient <laughs> yes. list as something easy either, you know, because there's still a lot of prep or shopping or, or money even totally. that has to go into those things as well. So it's kind of multifaceted, but um, it definitely a lot of thought goes into whether it's easy, medium or hard. And it's so funny, the people that help me test recipes regularly, you know, will like cross out medium and be like, no way easy, you know, or or vice versa, be like, why did you say <laughs> this was easy? This is not easy, you know, like, and yeah. so it definitely changes some as we test them too, because sometimes what feels easy in my mind is, is more complex or specific yes. anyway, when we get into it.
1: Yeah. This brings up a really good question, though, and that I promise this is not a dig on Stacy and her not identifying as a baker. The but the baking like, fool in and you? foolproof. <laughs> You're not, though. It's not. But it's, it is a funny thing where, like, you just don't identify as a baker. So maybe there's, like, a little lack of confidence when, like, I know that you could do even the hardest recipes, especially in Erin's book because they're so well written yes. and there's a they lot are. of guidance in there but like what do you tell people aaron about the best way to become a more confident baker
3: there's a few things i think the biggest piece of advice i give to anyone especially people who say that they aren't bakers is read the entire recipe all the way through more than once before you start because even just reading it through a second time or you know then one more time again before you start you see these very minor things that you know but if you forgot them they could make a big difference unfortunately in baking but they sometimes are hidden away in instructions that you know might seem more minor and that's one thing i do try to do like this is important (laughs) you know like i'll actually you know i want it to kind of be like i'm standing right behind you being like you got this you got this and so Sometimes I'm will i very, you know, more colloquial in my recipes because I'll say things like, okay, it's going to look weird for a second, don't freak (laughs) out, like (laughs) it's going to look clumpy for a good minute and then it'll start to look smooth or or whatever. Um, But one of the biggest things I think, I think you can learn to become a baker in a lot of different ways. And I don't necessarily think that you need to make the same recipe over and over again. I actually would probably encourage people to make the same category, but from different people because you'll learn Ooh. how lots of different people do it and you'll end up maybe taking the tidbit that applies to you the most. I think the best way to become a better baker is to build your muscle memory. I think there's such a muscle memory to baking. Yes. And I think that's true with cooking too. But I think with baking, it's it's even more intense because it's these visual cues that once you know what you're looking for, baking becomes a lot less scary. You know, that's a recipe will say bake for 25 to 30 minutes and some people then at 31 minutes they're absolutely panicking like it doesn't yes. seem brown enough like what do i do but it's been 31 minutes well when you know what you're looking for if you know those visual cues if you have that muscle memory suddenly those things are a lot less scary and it becomes more about knowing your own oven knowing your own environment that you're baking in and knowing how you like it do you like it a little bit more brown do you like it a little doughier you know all of those things so making something from multiple different people, you know, saying I'm going to work on buttermilk biscuits for a while and making six different buttermilk biscuit recipes is probably a great way. If you struggle, though, with all of them, then definitely making one over and over again is a great technique because if you're making always something different, it becomes a lot harder to always know for sure what you did wrong. But I think that one of the things I have taken the most out of my career in baking experience are little tips from other people. And that's really, I think most of the best cooks and bakers have lots of little tips from the people that they've worked with that have been their mentors, all of these things. So yeah, I think kind of getting that cross section is, is one of the best ways to build that muscle memory.
1: There's something you didn't say explicitly, but it's sort of implied here that I want to draw out, which is uh, it should be something that you want to eat also, like whatever that recipe is, because if you're making six buttermilk biscuit recipes, like you're hopefully going to eat them or share them in some capacity. So we have this thing we say between the two of us, which is sort of like being the cook that you are, but like being the baker that you want to be. So you don't have to be a person who makes rough puff pastry from scratch. Just when you like totally, to Stacy. Totally, totally. Yes.
3: Well, this relates
1: the, to what I was saying. When say. you make it, the oh squash. sorry, go
3: ahead. I'm like now I know exactly. Because now, <laughs> now I just can't yes. help myself. Yes. And I have to like we contradict it. Because <laughs> I agree that if there's something that you just love, you should just like, you know, there are some actually really high quality brands of puff pastry. And sometimes even your local bakeries will sell things like puff pastry. And then you're having this really high quality artisan product, even. And how can you argue with that? But making things yourself also allows you the ability to flavor them. And so you suddenly can like make cheese puff pastry and you're making your ham and cheese Pop-Tarts, but the actual crust is made with sharp cheddar. Or you want to make like, I have this cacio e pepe rough puff pastry that is so good with so many different things. So again, I agree that you should make something that you really want to make. Don't, Don't say like, you know, that, You've never understood why people like muffins and then spend all this time making muffins for sure. But well, now
2: I have to make puff pastry. And now that we have this didn't I just feed you platform, I feel like people are gonna
1: expect me to prove that I've done it on social media. Yeah, no, actually Ah. we are. I am expecting you at the very least. Commence evil (laughs) laughter. This is (laughs) all
3: all I'm trying to accomplish in this world.
1: But it's true, (laughs) you know, when
2: you were talking, Megan, about making something that you love, it reminded me of Oliver. My 12, well, he's 13 now. 13, that just happened. Okay, my (laughs) 13-year-old who decided that snickerdoodles were his signature bake and just makes them over and over and over again. And he loves the flavor so much. And he also really loves making cinnamon sugar. That's like a whole weird extra little side thing. Like he coats them before he bakes them. Then he makes like a dipping sugar for your cookie after. Excellent, <laughs> Oliver. I applaud this. But like one time, I think he just like halved the flour by accident and like everything just melted into one sheet of crispy cinnamony like brittle. And he was like, oh, well, it didn't turn out, but this is really good. You want some? <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah, totally. He was totally. like not discouraged in the least. <laughs>
3: and i think that's actually true i think the things i've learned the most that have made me a better baker have been the times that i've made mistakes Mm -hmm. and many of my biggest mistakes there's another lesson to be had there because they are all still like they've many of them are still delicious not just edible but like still really good they just didn't turn out how i intended or um something you know like especially didn't seal right things went splooging out the side or something but then it just becomes even crispier and even more delicious and you're kind of like oh but you learn so much from your mistakes and i think the mistakes are actually a big part of building up that muscle memory in my web series i actually dive into i have this section called mistakes happen because i actually think that that's what makes most people the most scared about baking is messing up and oh no, I just wasted two sticks of butter, I just wasted this, I just wasted that. And I fully understand that. But especially in most cases, if it is still edible and you learn something from it, you're going to make it even better next time. And it actually becomes easier to make things because you saw what happens if you do it the wrong way. And I find that sometimes by showing people the wrong way, they walk into the kitchen feeling less scared of making that mistake themselves, both because they're armed with more information, but also because they've seen like, you know it it can still happen like even with the best intentions sometimes like i say mistakes happen <laughs> yeah that's awesome so
2: i feel like we have said a lot of this already but i just kind of want to distill it like what are your three things that a learning baker you know novice to intermediate should keep in mind as they go into baking new projects or projects that really push their skill level and you know, you've talked about reading a recipe all the way through. You've talked about like, you know, kind of tracking your mistake and like not being afraid of mistakes, but it can also be an emotional thing. I mean, what do you think really gets you in the headspace to find the joy in baking?
3: Oh, I love that question. I mean, it, it depends, I think, on the person. But for me, definitely like setting setting the mood a little bit, like I might play some great music Um, You know, the same kinds of things that you would do if you were getting into a creative headspace of painting or writing or any of those things. So if you do any of those other things, you know, I think you'll find that actually the same sorts of things will set the stage there. I like to start with a really nice clean kitchen. It really stresses me out when, so like I'll do a sink of dishes before I start baking. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that annoys me and it doesn't seem like it would set me off on the right frame but when they're done and I can start and everything is clean, I also like to make sure that I'm taking note of like all the temperatures and all the equipment. I sort of love, you know, there's that mise en place thing, but I sort of love like just having everything set out. It makes it for me so much more enjoyable if I'm not like, oh, and now I need this. And I walk across the kitchen to get it and I'm digging in a grocery bag. You know, it's just like, if everything is kind of out there, I sort of feel like, like a painter with his like, you know, I feel like Bob Ross at the very beginning when he's listing (laughs) all the colors that you're going to need for this episode, that's what I feel like I'm doing for myself when I like set all the things out and I'm like, I've got the rye flower, I've got the regular flower. All right, I've got everything. I'm good. Let's start. And it just, it makes it easier to feel good because you're not, you've taken care of all the stress. It's all taken out of the equation. I have to tell
2: you that now, every time I watch one of your videos, I'm going to imagine you before you hit record... (laughs) In your Bob Ross moment.
3: (laughs) I really love Bob Ross. This is like actually a a side fact (laughs) about me is that I find him very inspirational. And in my own way, I feel like I am doing a little bit of a Bob Ross. It really is amazing. (laughs) He like something on our Apple
2: TV where he just was coming up as soon as you turned the television on. So I'd forgotten about him for a long time. And one day I turned on the TV and I just like 10 minutes later, it was like when you scroll on Instagram. I just was lost. And I was like, I can't believe he went from that to
1: that in 10 minutes. He really is. Yeah,
3: I, I know. Yes, I know.
1: Stacy, this year, fall and winter mean back to the classroom, sports, after school activities, and even fall and winter holidays, masks optional. So more than ever, I'm looking to do all that I can to keep my kids immunity boosted.
2: I am right there with you. These days, staying well is not just about keeping our kids and their communities safe. It's also about keeping things running smoothly, to be honest. Having the sniffles can cause confusion and stress, disruption. So vitamins are an especially important part of our routine.
1: That's why I couldn't be more thrilled that Haya Health is back as a Didn't I Just Feed You sponsor. We were introduced to Haya's chewable children's vitamins last year, and they quickly became our favorite.
2: And it's no wonder that they did. Hiya vitamins are made with a blend of 12 farm-fresh fruits and vegetables, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more.
1: And the best part is that they are made with zero sugar. Did you know that typical children's vitamins are filled with as much as two teaspoons of sugar, a bunch of chemicals, and other stuff that many parents try to avoid? None of that is found in Hiya vitamins.
2: It's also hard to beat their convenience. Haya Vitamins come straight to your door with a pediatrician recommended schedule. The first month comes with a reusable glass bottle that your kids can personalize with stickers. Then every month thereafter, Haya sends a no plastic refill pouch of fresh
1: vitamins. Good for the planet, no sugar, non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and my kids like them. What's not to love? We've worked out
2: an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamins. Receive 50% off your first order at HayaHealth.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y.
1: This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y and get your kids the full body nourishment they need. Last year, both Stacey and I discovered Nutrafol, a supplement that supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. We've been so thrilled
2: with the results that in 2022, we want to make sure every woman knows about Nutrafol because as it turns out, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair.
1: Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through seasons when hair loss and thinning are normal, like postpartum and premenopausal, and all the times in between.
2: In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and more than 1,500 doctors recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair.
1: Most importantly, Nutrafol is 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results.
2: And major bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and my favorite, better skin and nails.
1: No matter your stage in life or whether you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hormonal changes, over or some other reason, there's a Nutrafol product for you. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for personalized product recommendations.
2: Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus get free shipping on every order.
1: That's $15 off at neutrafool.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y. Stacy it's getting warmer and the weather has me so ready for a wardrobe update but I want it to be for the long haul without spending a fortune. Quince is your
2: place it's not easy to get quality pieces that you can count on to last without investing a ton of money but at Quince I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking
1: effortlessly chic year after year. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula.
0: Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com.
1: I get baking cravings where I'm like, I need to bake. It's like a therapeutic thing. Sometimes I'm working through things by exploring recipes and I generally default to sweet things, but does savory baking like scratch the same itch for you as an artist? Are they different itches? Like how does that ebb and flow for you?
3: Yeah, actually, the concept of this book came from me noticing a pattern in my own personal baking style that whenever I was baking for somebody and I wanted to impress, I made something savory. Ooh, I didn't make something sweet. And I think it had a little bit to do with the fact that everyone expects that I'm a baker. So if I come with something savory rather than sweet, it's it's unexpected a little bit. But I think it also is a little bit my own personal taste. I I know I rock some people. I really rile some people up when I say (laughs) this, but I love sweets. I have a sweet tooth, but because it is my profession, it's a little bit like working on a construction site and then coming home and only watching HGTV, you know, like, It not that's not for everyone. Some people are that way. But for me, it's like people always ask, oh, and don't you love eating dessert when you go out? And I do. But sometimes if I've been eating dessert all day, like I kind of want to order a cheese plate, you know, like that's where I'm at. So for me, I noticed when my family came to visit, I made this huge array of savory galettes and like a big salad. And it was one of the best dinner parties I ever hosted. And everyone was talking and it was just like the most beautiful evening. And I had to go once to a big convention with lots of other pastry chefs. And I brought these little tarts that were all savory. And I just realized, I was like, you know, that's what I'm leaning towards and when i get excited about something it almost is this like highlighter like okay it's time to write about this because you're excited about it and that excitement is going to come off the page if if you do it right so for me it definitely scratches an itch but it's also you know i think one of the things that was the most fun for me both to remind myself and also hopefully to bring to other people is that it's it's far from a trend and it's far from even being a separate category of baking. There's definitely things within this book that I could have put in some of my other books. You know, like I could have put some of these savory pies in my pie book. I could have put some of these breads in my first book, The Fearless Baker. But just putting them all together is really what makes you notice that they're savory. But you're not necessarily thinking, I think sometimes like some people love to bake bread. Well, so much of bread baking isn't really sweet. It's more about a savory application, it's about making your own sandwiches, about making something, um, you know, fresh and crusty that would be perfect for all of these, you know, different applications. So it's definitely a rich subject area for me and an area where I say it's far from a trend because worldwide in many countries, there are way more savory baked goods than there are sweet baked goods. And so um, that was kind of a fun, you know, thing to bring to this book as well is that this is a worldwide thing. It's far from, from a trend.
1: Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't looked at the book yet, there is like a lot, many of the recipes have a sweet adaptation to them, like where you could take a basic dough and make it into something sweet rather than savory. So that's like, it makes it like doubly useful. You're like getting twice as many recipes in some
3: cases. Well, and I... this is how I always look at my books. I look at every page as real estate, right? So I don't want there, you'll notice there's very little empty space, very little white space in my books. And I find lots of variations and ways to add additional tips and tricks and whatever. But these sweet tooth breaks are also because I live just with my husband. So if I'm making a big batch of pretzels for us, yeah, I'm probably going to make two of them as a sweet pretzel, to eat for dessert and then we'll also have you know yeah <laughs> ones so i but that way of thinking is something that of course professional bakers and people who cook and bake all the time they do it naturally but i was hoping to like bring that in and kind of say oh a reminder you already went through all this effort but you could make half of these as sweet biscuits and half of these as savory biscuits it's totally up to it you. was
2: actually a really delightful moment in the book when i first came across one of the sweet tooth breaks because there is something about you putting All the savory recipes together that felt like you created a different entry point for me as someone who doesn't consider myself a baker. And it's not that I'm unfamiliar with savory baking. I mean, I I told you, like, I grew up with a Greek grandmother. My grandmother was constantly, like, baking spinach pies and all different pies, cheese pies. But there was something about you putting it all together that's like, oh, yeah, like this is a way that I can think about baking differently. But then as you're looking through the book, it really is hard as someone with a sweet tooth to look through it all and be like, well, if I put in all this effort. I do want dessert. Also. <laughs> so it was great. Totally. I was like, all right, she did it. She thought it all through.
3: <laughs> well, and I, I think some of those things I actually in some cases fell in love with them as a sweet pastry. And this was my chance to take it to a savory place. So I learned to make strudel, for example, as only a dessert, Mm -hmm. only a sweet thing. But then it's so fun for me to just tack in one of my favorite sweet strudels under there after I introduce like here's how I would do a savory one. You know, so the it's it's fun for me too, as well as yeah, being a great way to utilize if you're making piroshki, you don't have to make all of them as meat. You know, some of them could be blueberry, why not?
2: Okay. Let's talk about a baking pantry. Like, are there some key ingredients that home bakers should always have on hand for sweet or savory for both? Like, what's your basic rundown?
3: Ooh, this is hard for me because obviously I have a very full pantry and I'm not, I'm not known for being a minimalist (laughs) in this regard. I
1: can relate. I can relate. We can give you like you, we could say, okay, give us like your five savory and your five sweet. Oh, God. C5 is still so hard. No, no, (laughs) it's okay. I've got this. I've got
3: this. (laughs) I think for this book in particular, um, what I would say is I all-purpose flour, always having that on hand. And uh, if you are enjoying making anything from the bread chapters, also bread flour, which I like having both of those on hand anyway. Um, Personally, I, I think if you enjoy baking, there when a recipe calls for bread flour, it's worth it to use the bread flour because it really benefits from that higher protein content. Butter, obviously, <laughs> butter is extremely important to me. And I literally have about 30 pounds of butter in the house at any given time. You're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> and um despite this being a savory book and I'm, I'm already fending off a lot of comments about this, but there's a method to my madness sugar is still a really important player in the savory realm and not because of flavor balance which is what everyone keeps thinking they're like oh and and also a lot of I get a lot of accusations like Americans just put sugar in everything and I fully understand that we definitely do we put that that you know stereotype is is largely true i completely agree with it but there is a reason to put sugar in some baked goods especially baked goods that you're making at home because it is a preservative and it will keep things moist it will maintain the shelf life a little bit more so a lot of my recipes that when you taste them they definitely wouldn't taste sweet but they might have 1 tablespoon or 2 tablespoons of a sweetener of some sort in them so i would say sugar or i actually find that i use brown sugar a lot more in savory bakes because that little bit of molasses just like leans really nice in the savory world this book is really the first time i've dived deeper into yeast in my other books i don't do that but one of my first jobs was actually as a bread baker so um, This book, Everything is Instant Yeast, and I think that that's one of the ones that I recommend to a lot of home bakers to have because it freezes easily, you can kind of have it, um, but it's also the easiest one to incorporate into a dough. You don't have to activate it first. You can just add it right in with the flour. Um, so that's another one that I would say. So that was, I said two flours, but no, that's five. That's five. Does that work? That's five, yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. But if I'm diving in even further, I would, of course, say that like, you know, lots of spices. I use a lot of smoked paprika in this book and I use a lot of alliums in this book, like a lot (laughs) and some other different flowers, too. Like I love pumpernickel and rye and um, I talk about some of those other kinds of flowers throughout the book as well. But I think the basics that covers you pretty well. Do you have a a favorite spice resource? Well, I just started um, getting some great spices from the Boonville Farm Collective, which they only make certain ones, but they're out of California. It's a female owned company. It's really fantastic. And they are making some really, really cool chili powders in particular, and also whole dried chilies. And I used a lot of those in this book. My other favorite, because there is one um, in the town that I live, which is Kansas City, is Pensies. I'm I'm a big Penzies fan. So Penzi's is great because the store is like for me, it's like going to you know um Willy Wonka's factory almost it's like oh every time I go in there it makes me so excited but you can also order those online so it's a great resource for everybody.
1: I also love Pensies. Uh we have a listener's question. Erin Wilson asked well she says I love Erin's books. What should I make first with my kids ages five to nine? Great question. Love this question.
3: First of all, love that she's baking with her kids because that's also how I fell in love with baking, was baking with my mom and my grandma. The first two chapters are not only the most kid friendly in terms of mixing methods and like less fancy equipment, they're also going to be some of the fastest recipes. And with kids at that age, I always find that their attention span is a little bit short and they either want to be involved in the mixing yes, and then just be called totally. back when it's done, or you have to find a way to involve them in the very final stages of making it in you know either way. So I would say there's a lot of really great, fast, simple bakes, the different muffins, the scones, obviously I mentioned quick breads already, but also there's, chapter two i call stove savories and in that chapter there's waffles and savory pancakes and like big skillet pancakes and dutch babies and really all kinds of things that you know a kid could help mix and then you'd watch it go into the pan and it would be done moments later so that's really exciting for kids sometimes the yeast raised stuff just feels like agony to kids because it takes <laughs> so long for it to come about So that's another thing is if you do want to go that route, because some kids really love playing with dough, I mean, who can blame them? That's why I like playing with dough. Um, is to go ahead and mix the dough and rise it. And when it's time to shape it, bring them back into it, because then they only have to wait for it to bake rather than, you know, the whole, the whole shebang.
1: (laughs) Is there one specific recipe, like top of your head? I know that's like a lot of pressure because there's a lot of recipes where you're like, this is the one, if I was baking with a five and a nine-year-old, this is what I would.
3: I think, yeah, maybe the three cheese muffins would be like a great place to start or the corn muffins. Um, you can either do them plain or I have these corn muffins stuffed with cheddar that are incredible. And kids would have so much fun pushing the cheese into each muffin. There would be so many places kids could help with both of those. But I feel like those are also, you know, as far as kids go, you can't go wrong with that flavor wise because every every kid's into cheese, yes, I feel. Mostly, <laughs> well, we even think, the ones who yes. say
2: they're not, but anyway, <laughs> not throwing one of my kids under the bus or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about not liking cheese, and then I feed him cheesy things, and he's like, well, this is delicious.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: He'd be very into cheesy muffins. Okay, Erin, we're going to get into the more game, <laughs> game part of our interview. You have 45 minutes to make dinner. What are you making and baking?
3: Or making or baking? The problem is, I came up with so many ways to cheat in this question before. That's okay. Fully we accept it. cheating. <laughs> uh, no, I know which one. No doubt in my mind, I would make fry bread and probably make fry bread tacos. Okay. This is something that is a bit of a tradition in my family, but it's actually so easy. It's not yeast raised, it's just made with baking powder. So you don't have to wait long for the dough to rise or rest or anything like that. You can pretty much mix it and go right into it. And while you're frying the fry breads, you can be cooking up your very simple taco meat mixture. So it would definitely come together in 45 minutes, as long as you weren't making it for a crowd of like 15, which is what I'm usually doing when I'm making it for my family. It might take a little (laughs) bit longer in that case. The thing that's so great about it though, is it's also adaptable. You could obviously make it vegetarian really easily and kind of do more of a bean or veggie based filling um and obviously you can customize it with your favorite toppings and then of course you can save some of the dough toss it in cinnamon sugar or powdered sugar and you have dessert too just to loop yes. back to double yes. double win yes
2: <laughs> i'm into it that's like okay. my dream dinner or maybe i'm just super hungry right now but like fried <laughs> dough tacos and then fried dough with cinnamon and sugar mm. chef's kiss love it
1: a big win. A big win. Okay, Erin, we like to play this game called Kiss, Mary, Kill. Have you ever played it
3: before? <laughs> you understand? Yes, I have played it.
1: <laughs> I will say, typically, I just like pick the recipes I have flagged from a cookbook. And like, that helps me decide. But for this one, I thought it'd be like a little more fun to do doughs instead, because there are many doughs in the recipe that you use to make multiple things. So it's very helpful. And don't worry, I didn't put pie dough on the list. You don't have to kiss, Mary or kill because that's a separate book.
3: I, I would kiss
1: and marry <laughs> yes. it it would be both my wife and my side <laughs> <piece>. <laughs> okay kiss mary kill rough puff pastry pizza dough or dumpling dough
3: this is going to be so much harder than i <laughs> yeah, thought because it is i feel like just due to how much i make it i would have to marry rough puff wow <laughs> this is impossible i'm gonna say Kiss dumpling okay. dough because I love dumplings and I actually feel like if you make dumplings a lot, you almost view it mm-hmm. as an easy recipe. And if you don't make dumplings a lot, it should be an easy recipe. So I'm going to kiss it and I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I'm
1: going to kill pizza ah! dough. Bye pizza dough. I love dumplings more <laughs> than you. Agree with you about dumplings, which is part of why I put it on the list. But the pizza dough is a hard, like pizza dough versus rough puff is hard.
3: I mean, it would be hard for like the average person and the average person would choose pizza dough and I kind of would get that. But yeah. you can't you can't be this gal and <laughs> not choose rough puff. I mean, I am I am loop linked to rough puff for life.
1: For anyone who <laughs> ha- doesn't know what we're talking cuz like a rough puff pastry dough, will you just like do a quick walkthrough of like, it's, it gets you to the textures and flavors of like, even frozen puff pastry more quickly, but how do you make it?
3: Yes, I would say that my rough puff pastry is way better than even the best quality frozen puff pastry. Okay, I get it. I'm gonna gonna make Um, it. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Sorry, I'm, I've officially become a No. Yeah, but I will bully in the name of rough puff and in you I'll know I'm just disrespecting my wife. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I it, it is much faster to make than traditional puff pastry, which involves making a block of butter, encasing it in dough, and then putting it through a series of folds. Rough puff pastry is made a little bit more like pie dough, where the butter is just incorporated into the dough. You still do the folds, but they are way less complicated. They take less time in general. The dough requires less overall resting. It's just much easier to get to. and. Um, I actually think that rough puff pastry is about as easy to make as a, a simple biscuit dough. So if you feel not scared of making biscuits, you shouldn't definitely shouldn't feel scared of making puff pastry. And if you still are scared of both of them, <laughs> I can help.
2: Well, okay. Before we leave, now that we're talking about rough puff, it's making me think of the holidays. They're coming up. Do you have your top holiday baking tips, sweet or savory. It could be emotional. It could be you need to make these cookies. These are the best holiday cookies ever. Whatever you want to tell people.
3: Oh, I have so many things. I love the holidays. My husband always jokes that every holiday that comes, I say, (laughs) this is my favorite holiday. And he says, you said that last time. Um, Because I love an excuse, a celebratory excuse to bake. One of my biggest pieces of advice, and this is somebody who loves to be creative and push the boundaries in my own kitchen, is to not make something for the very first time when I'm having a big family gathering. You know, not even in case it goes wrong, because it's not even about that so much as it's gonna be more stressful, it's gonna be less enjoyable, and also, there is something so satisfying about practicing something a couple of times, like as the weather starts to get chilly and then the holidays come and you're like now making it for the fourth or fifth time or the third time, you know, uh, and it's snowing and it's Christmas morning or it's whatever, you know, like it's just a lovely kind of moment for me. Another thing is I think I've been hearing a lot about people lately wanting to like not abandon family Mm -hmm. traditions, but also kind of wanting to go different routes. And I think that there's ways that you can find to incorporate traditions like with a single baked good or by making it together, you know, making a batch of cookies together and everyone taking home some. But then still then feeling like you have more room on the table for that new dessert this year, you know, and it doesn't wipe away that other tradition. And also you might be starting a new tradition, which is also sort of lovely and fun, especially like for people that are, you know, becoming adults and are wanting to like take over some of these traditions for themselves or whatever. One of my best cookie recipes is available on Food52. It's a very chewy gingerbread cookie. And I would highly recommend it for anyone. There's a video about it and everything. It stays soft and chewy for weeks. It's it's amazing. And don't get me wrong. I like a ginger snap or something like that. but. For me, the chewy cookie is where it's at. And then I think this book is really great for anyone who's wanting to do um holiday baking because every recipe has these make ahead yes. and storage tips at the bottom of it. So if, you know, when you're getting to Thanksgiving and things like that, where it's getting so stressful and you have so many things to juggle, this will tell you exactly like make it up to this step and freeze it, you know, and it'll freeze for three weeks this way. And then thought over, it just tells you everything that you need to know so that you can make some of those things in advance and make it less stressful. I think the only thing I ever regret around the holidays is like not being present enough and not like enjoying it enough. So um, I do have like a couple other things, which is that I ask members of my family to like take pictures of the things that they like and stuff that way. I'm not, thinking about having my phone out or whatever. One of my brothers is oh, yeah. a photographer, though, so that, <laughs> that helps. helps. <laughs> yeah, But it also is kind of nice because then later people send you just like a real quick snap that they took of their favorite thing. And it's kind of like this moment of, oh, man, that w- I didn't know that was your favorite. I didn't even watch you eat that. That's I so cool that you love that thing or whatever. But that way I can be like both a little more present and not yoked to my phone as like a content creator, but also that I can still maybe get some of those moments and and whatever. Um, And planning ahead really helps me to be more present and enjoy it a lot more because otherwise I just feel like I'm kind of running around like, "Ah!" and I think everybody, if I feel that way as a food professional, I imagine that lots of people feel that way on those big holiday days. I love that. This snapshot,
1: yeah, yeah, the snapshot advice is like good advice also for guests. Like if someone is hosting you beyond bringing wine or whatever, like doing a little bit of documenting and sharing it afterwards is Incredibly brilliant.
3: It's so true. Sometimes the only picture I have from an event or a party or anything is one random snap that someone took of me, and I'm just always so grateful for it because I maybe didn't bring out my phone the whole yeah. time. Or it's whatever. such
2: a so. way of like making sure you don't miss too much and how hectic things can get. Even if you're being present with one person over here, like you said, like oh, I didn't even see you try that cookie. You loved it. Like that's a that's such a nice thing to know about your guests.
3: Totally. And that said, I also completely approve of everyone just turning their phones (laughs) off entirely on these days and not taking pictures or documenting it at all. I think it's like whatever you want to do is great. But for me, that has always been really lovely. And it's this like lovely moment in the days after where I'm like, oh, I love seeing what everyone's favorite was. Or I love seeing what the table looked like. I love that. And Erin, next, I'd like you to
2: um, talk with my 16-year-old so that you can... (laughs) Get that going in my house. Get that going in my house for holidays. That that could be (laughs) your holiday gift to me. (laughs) I I'll do my best. I don't know. (laughs) This (laughs) it seems like an
1: uphill challenge for sure. (laughs) Very much so. Erin, this was so lovely. Thank you so much for chatting with us, and we're so excited about savory baking. It's so exciting to see this book kind of come into the
3: world. I don't know if you've heard this story through my social media, but. I actually started pitching it as a book Mm -hmm. a really, really long time ago. And um, so it's just been so special for it to kind of be out. It just feels like it's been baking in my brain for even longer than books normally take to bake. So this one is, um, it just is so exciting and it's so lovely to talk about all these these Mm -hmm. gems that are hidden inside of it with you.
1: Stacey i really love i like try not to fangirl and be weird because we send this to aaron later for her to <laughs> listen to but i loved her so much before i love following her on instagram but i like love her even more after talking to her and i love all the like emotional advice and also practical family advice that she gave about getting ready for the holidays but i feel like i have to be like your like everyone's like pushy big sister right now and be like it is the first week of November if you're hosting Thanksgiving or you're going to be doing any Thanksgiving prep you should probably be doing it right now I'm just going to be honest <laughs> with you <laughs> you're probably listening no pressure listening to this, just do it you're probably already like a little bit behind uh <laughs> okay 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 Okay, we're gonna do it we got it Erin said it she's like there are things that you can make that like can be made several weeks in advance for the holidays i'm gonna call out like if i'm gonna do biscuits for thanksgiving i will go ahead and make the dough cut them all out line them up in a baking sheet and stick them in the freezer now same thing for like parker house rolls or any kind of yeast rolls but I know that you also feel strongly in the same regard
2: about pie dough. Yeah. I mean, pie dough is like one of the only things like that, that I <laughs> make from scratch. But I feel like, you know, it feels like when you're cooking, when you're prepping for Thanksgiving, and it's true that I make my pie dough several weeks before Thanksgiving and put it in the freezer so that I have it ready. You're like, nah,
1: Christmas is so far away from now. It's not. Actually, it's like three weeks this year. It's like even shorter than it regularly is. Okay. Well, okay. You're like on the verge of stressing me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was not the point.
2: (laughs) Okay. But what I was going to say is if I'm going to make dough now, like even weeks later, I don't want to make it again. Like I'm making it and I'm making plenty for now and Christmas. Pido is very easy to make, to double the recipe. Right. So I'll often just like do a double recipe and then wrap it up and then do another double recipe while everything's out and I have all the ingredients. It's again, just like set up my mise en place. I do it in the food processor. I don't know if you and Erin would approve, Yes. but it works for me. And then I have enough, like I have a lot of dough then. Right. It's like what? Two, four, six, eight rounds. And it just depends if you're making single crust or double crust pies.
1: And then you divide. How do you like to like? Do you do divide it into little discs? Do you put it in zip top bags, saran wrap? What's Disks, your... saran wrap? And then just pop them in the freezer, like stacked up. Yes, it's really honestly brilliant. I'm planning to make a pie this week, and I'm going to make extra pie yeah, dough. Like
2: check it off the list. Yes,
1: it's just really
2: easy to do. And actually, sometimes the really easy things are nice to batch, not just because it's a simpler process. But also because if I have the energy to bake something else closer to Christmas, having the pie dough already made gives me an opportunity to, like, be playful or do something with the kids or, like, do a cookie instead, you know, rather than in two baking sessions only make, you know, one pre-Thanksgiving, one pre-Christmas, rather than, like, all I baked this holiday season was pie dough.
1: Right. Right. Also, I love the idea that you could like give that as a gift to or be helpful to someone who's hosting along the way too. like, oh, I already have this pie dough. Can I drop a couple off for you?
2: You know what? And anybody who's like just had a new baby, having a hard time, feeling overwhelmed, has little kids. It is that is such a gift to give them like two rounds of pie dough that just make it really easy, you know, or you can even like shape it and then it's like. They bought it at the store, but it's homemade from you. It's cozy. I don't know. I love that idea.
1: Yeah. It's an invitation and an invitation for those people who are in those seasons to like do something that cr- scratches a creative itch for them, or maybe they turn it into comfort food. You, it's a brilliant idea to double or down. Leftover on pie, dough. pie. Leftover pie. I know I'm excited to make that. There's there's like a lot I'm excited to make, but I also I'm secretly very excited for you to make rough puff pastry and share with us in some way, shape, you or guys, form. You guys, it's really, it's going
2: to happen. The one thing I'm going to ask is that you all be patient with me because with the holidays and stuff, it could be one of those things where one day I just feel relaxed and inspired and I'm like, I'm going to make it today. Or I could feel stressed the entire holiday season
1: <laughs> and not
2: feel like I can make it until after Isaac's birthday in January. But I promise I'll do it.
1: Okay, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Having a full quarter to tackle a project, especially I just in the made feel despised. so
2: inept or something. But <laughs> I didn't I know mean you didn't. for I'm it. I'm actually to. joking. But
1: yes. I guess it's like back to that, like Aaron bullying you about it. Wow. I'm gonna bully you. Okay, about and it. everyone, I quit. Didn't I just feed you? This is our last episode. <laughs> just kidding just kidding just kidding just kidding sorry don't say that because when we take a break in january everyone's gonna be like what dissolved (laughs) they break up over
2: maybe this is the drama we've always wanted to create we do get a lot of drama well well. like maybe this is what we need to do create some drama over puff pastry rough puff no less
1: (laughs) okay okay Let's see if it uh, brings more people to the listeners group. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play out all our drama
2: behind a paywall.
1: <laughs> okay, Stacy. with that, I'm going to take us out because you know who's going to not have drama and bring us inspiration, our Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community. We hope that you've joined us there. If not, join for free at you.com backslash community. If you want those bonus episodes, those cozy recipes, for our supporting community. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at didn't I just feed you or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to didn't I just feed you wherever you get your podcasts. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well fed until next week. Be sure
3: to subscribe to didn't I just feed you wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review.